0: All right, you may be seated. If you will, turn with me or meet me in Romans chapter 12. And today we aim to finish up at least on Sunday morning, verse 13, uh, but we're going to continue on Wednesday night talking about this particular subject in, uh, in, a, in a little more depth and length than what we'll cover here. Uh, this morning will really kind of be ex- exposure to hospitality, and then we will um, look at it in a a more in-depth way uh, on on Wednesday nights. So Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 13, we dealt the last couple of weeks with the first half of um, Paul's letter, uh, uh, or verse 13 of chapter 12, and so this week we want to finish off, verse 13. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, that's where we were for the last two weeks. Contribute to the needs of the saints, the the teaching of generosity, and seek to show hospitality. Now, it depends on what translation you're reading. Uh, Of course, I'm reading out of the ESV, but based on your translation, uh, the part where it says, seek to show, Uh, could say, pursue hospitality, Um, or it could be worded in a a number of other ways. There's um, several different translations of this word, uh, Greek word, that the ESV translates seek to show. Paul's letter to the Roman believers teaches us two fundamental truths about Christianity. Okay, so we always got to come back to this at the start because we even even though we say this from week to week, the bottom line is is that we um, we will never uh, or well, I shouldn't say never, we will lose sight or we'll lose focus of uh, the connectedness of the Bible because the, the the good and the bad part about preaching the way we have been through the book of Romans is that you you can't really preach big chunks at one time you you kind of have to break it down into into small bite-sized morsels but but when you do that you tend if you're not if you don't at least as a preacher if you're not connecting it back to uh the entirety of the book because we don't want to just isolate this verse and start trying to pull truths out of a verse uh, in, in isolation. The Bible's not meant to be read that way. It's not, to be, it's not meant to be taught that way or preached that way. Um, even though that happens a lot uh, in Christianity today, where we just, uh, the preacher or the teacher has some kind of idea that they want to communicate, and they start scanning the Bible, looking for a verse to kind of validate that. And listen, you can make, you can make any verse almost validate any thought that pops into your head. Uh, There's a scripture that you can use to to, to validate that. Um, But what we want to do is we want to understand the Bible, not only in its immediate context, that being the book that it was written in, but in its overall context, that being the 66 books in which it is a part of. And so in Paul's letter uh, to the Roman believers, Paul uses what is often his mode of writing or teaching, which is he focuses in on really two fundamentals of Christianity. Fundamental number one is doctrine, or what some people might call theology. Uh, It is that part of scripture that uh, people don't really want to talk about. They don't want their preacher to preach on. They don't want to go to a Sunday school class or a life group or a small group that focuses in on Doctrine, uh, we're, we're much more of the ex- experience. Let's, talk, let's sit around and talk about our, our feelings. Um, doctrine is too dry. It's like eating shredded wheat uh, or you know, something, something else that is just dry and not uh, really palatable. But Paul, in all of his writings, he will begin the first part of any letter that he writes with doctrine. And then he follows that up with the duty. So doctrine always uh, precedes duty, not the other way around. And so in Romans, as we've already said, but stick with me because you need to be reminded of this, he takes 11 chapters. There's only 16 in the book, but he takes 11 chapters uh, and he roots us in doctrine. He is rooting the people of Rome, the Christians at Rome, in doctrine and then he spends the last five chapters rooting them on to duty so he takes the first five chapters 11 chapters and he roots them in doctrine and then he takes the next five uh the last five chapters and he roots them on to duty you see doctrine roots us in the soil of god's rich mercy and those mercies root us on in our duty Is there anybody in here this morning that doesn't struggle with obedience? Anybody in here, just obedience just seems to come easy for you? Anybody in here just find loving your enemy to be easy? Even if that enemy might be your spouse? <laughs> it's like I told a couple one time that came in for some marriage counseling, and she said... Um, she told me, she goes, I just don't love him anymore. I said, well, I said, I said, are you a Christian? She said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, are you familiar with the teachings of Jesus on the subject of love? She said, well, I guess I am. I said, Jesus says that husbands are to love their wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that we're also to love our enemies. So if you can't love him as your spouse, and you can't love him as a neighbor, you at least got to love him like he's your enemy. So what am I saying? (laughs) Hey, Christians, you you don't get a pass on love. (laughs) You don't get a pass. But is it easy? Well, no, it's not easy. How many of us quit on loving somebody else because that person is not loving us back? And and we really need that reciprocation of love to fuel our love, to keep loving because how many of you have ever tried to love somebody when that other person is either not loving back or not or is not doing anything worthy of love. That's tough, right? But usually that's how our fuel for love is sustained. Well, it's not going to work in Christianity. It's not the way Christian love is is, is sustained Christian love is sustained in that we get rooted in the doctrine of God's love and mercy and what that does is that that rootedness roots us on in our daily life to be merciful to love to to do everything that Christ calls us to do so when you you know when you're thinking well Lord I just can't I just can't love this person because they, they don't do anything worthy of love. <laughs> you, you need to hear the voice of the Lord saying, and, and when's the last time you did anything worthy of love? How, how many times do I have to overlook what you don't do, and yet I love you? You see, that's the mercies of God. God, God didn't love you when you were lovable. He didn't show you mercy when you were doing good. that, I mean, that, mercy doesn't even make sense then, right? Mercy only makes sense is when, you, and when it's given, when you're doing everything that deserves judgment. So since arriving in verse 9 of chapter 12, I have reminded us each Sunday of the connection between that Sunday's verse and the opening verses of Romans chapter 12. So do you remember what it says? Uh, Therefore, by the mercies of God, offer yourselves as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what everything in verse 9 and following is rooted in. It's rooted in God's mercy. It's rooting in us living as a living sacrifice it's, it's rooted in our nonconformity to the world. It's rooted in our minds being transformed. Each week, our text contains a participle, which is a verb, right? It's a verb with an adjective, with a specific action that we are to live out. However, these participles are impossibilities without our experience. Uh, verses 1 and 2. So again, you have to remember that what you read in verses 9 and on cannot be done apart from being rooted in the mercies of God. Only those who have experienced the mercies of God are capable of such a life. What I find interesting about these participles are their call to merciful actions. So when when you read from verse 9 down to verse 21, all of these Participles, all these verbs with specific actions. What you see is that each one of these participles is actually an act of mercy. You see, living this sat, uh, living sacrifice, non-world conformity, transform life, makes us merciful. For it is merciful. So let's look together this morning at the final participle. Found in verse 13. Seek to show hospitality. Paul uses chapters 1 through 11 to show us the extent that God went to in order to welcome us into his family. The extent that God went to to welcome us into his family. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, seek to show hospitalities. Here's the big idea this morning. If somebody asks you this afternoon, what did your preacher preach on this morning? You can give it to him in one sentence. Just say, our preacher said, the mercies of God welcome us and make us welcoming. The mercies of God welcome us and make us welcoming. That's the big idea this morning. That's what this text is is aimed to teach us. That the mercies of God have welcomed us into the family of God and thereby make us welcoming. Now, I said that Paul spent those 11 chapters rooting us in the mercies of God. Those 11 chapters show us the the extent in which God the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, went to extend the welcome of God to us. So let me just read you some earlier verses Found in the book of Romans. I picked some that are familiar, uh, and I hope that the familiarity of these verses will not cause you to miss uh, uh, the, the weight of what God, through Christ Jesus, went through to extend a welcome to you into the family of God. Here's what it says For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean? You had no capacity to bring yourself to God, right? Because what does Ephesians say? You're dead in trespasses and sin. How can dead people do anything? Dead people can't bring themselves anywhere. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's that's you and I. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. And guess what? There are no righteous people to die for. Because Paul has already said earlier in chapter 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. But what, it, what God is saying is, if there was a righteous person to die for, scarcely one would even die for the righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and while we were still sinners, are, are, are you feeling the welcome, the extent, while we were still being bad all by ourselves, Christ died for us. Not while you were good, not on your best day, not when you were all cleaned up and had it all together, but when you were a wreck, a mess, when you were uh, uh, in the slums of sin, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Remember what justified means? That means that God treats me just as if I had never sinned. So though daily I still sin. In my practice, guess what? Positionally, when God the Father looks down at, at those that have been converted, those that have experienced new birth, he looks down, and because of what Jesus has done, he sees us as just as if we had never sinned. Y'all are only proving the, the, uh, the, the thought process about Baptist to be true. That's a good place to amen, shout, Hallelujah. Do something because that's pretty good. It doesn't get any better than that. Than to tell sinful people because you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God now looks at you as He looks on His only Son, sinless. And if you're not in position sinless, you won't get into heaven. I didn't say in your practice, I'm talking about in your position. That's a legal declaration. Though you are guilty of sin, God says because of what Christ has done, you are innocent. I tried again. Thank you. It's okay. We don't punish people for talking in church. You know, we can can have, you know, this is supposed to be kind of dialogical, you know, kind of back and forth, back and forth. It really helps the preaching out. And I might quit sooner if y'all started talking back a little bit. See, that's just bait to try to get you engaged. All right. Since therefore we've been justified as blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. What were you saved from? We say, well, I got saved from hell. Really what you got saved from is God's wrath. That's what makes hell, hell. It's not that there's some fire down there that you're burning in that will never be quenched. I don't know if it's a literal fire or not, I don't know if there's literal worms or not, but here's what I do know. It's not less than that. What it is, is that God the Father is going to pour out His wrath on everybody who will not repent for all of eternity because they rejected His offer of salvation. When the the sky goes dark for three hours... And Christ endures hell. That's what He's going through. He is going through the... He is suffering the wrath of God for everyone who will ever repent of their sins. So God sends His Son not to save us from hell in particular, but more particular to save us from Himself. For while we were, for while we were enemies, not friends... We were reconciled to God by death of his son. Reconciliation is when enemies become friends. So while we were God's enemies, he came to make us his friends. By the death of his son, much more now, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ did not... Please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who fall, uh, the reproaches of those who reproached you, fell on me. This is uh, uh, Romans uh, fifteen three, because what I want to do is I want to show you that in in Romans fifteen seven that this whole idea of the mercies of God being connected to hospitality is also shown in a couple of chapters. So he says in Romans 15, 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What is he saying? Those who sinned against God, their sin fell on me. Now watch watch how he ends this. In verse 7 he says, Because of that, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He's saying because Christ came and, and the rep- our reproaches, our sins against God, fell on Him, we now can be people who can welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Because how does God welcome us? He welcomes us by Jesus taking our sin and making a pathway, in essence, building a door of welcome that we can walk through into God's presence and into fellowship and relationship with God. And here's what Paul is saying. Because Jesus has done this for you and for me as a Christian, the natural outworking of that is is that our front doors become open to anyone. Hospitality may be an industry of employment on earth, yet for the Christians... It is a supernatural lifestyle resulting from their experience of God's mercy. Hospitality is supernatural. It's supernatural. It's a byproduct of our salvation. That's what it is. It's a a byproduct. It's an outworking of our salvation. Now, let me just prove that to you through the Bible. Look, anytime a preacher makes a statement of uh, of a certainty, you should say, and where is your scripture, preacher? There's a lot of preachers that make a lot of certain statements and they got no Bible to back it up. Or they got some little verse that they pull out and, and, and make it work. Here's what it says, Acts 16. One who... Uh, heard us was a woman named Lydia, okay? Now, this is Paul and Silas. They're out on the missionary journey, right? They've been commissioned back in Acts chapter 13. They've gone out on this missionary journey, so they're out spreading the gospel. And this woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, which just meant purple was the most expensive fabric. I mean, it, it was the top of the top, so this lady dealt with high-end materials, dealt with people of great wealth and influence, uh, who was a worshiper of God. Now I'm going to do a little sidebar here. Hold that thought, right? Take that. She's a worshiper of God. What, so what do you assume when you read that? She's a worshiper of God, that she's a Christian. Mm, watch. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what, what was said by Paul. She's a worshiper of God, but yet it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You want a little side sermon? That means that not just because everybody worships God doesn't mean that everybody is a Christian. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches today that are worshiping God and, that, and if something doesn't change, they're going to live separated from him forever. Why? Because you don't become a Christian by worshiping. You become a Christian because God opens your heart to pay attention to what is being said from the Scripture, and you believe. So look at the next verse. To prove it. And she was baptized. If she was already a believer, what, why is she being baptized? Baptized? and her household as well, she urged us saying, now watch, here's, here's the sermon. Back to the sermon. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Wow. She got saved? And what was, the, what was her first act as a Christian after her baptism? Come on, let's go eat some fried chicken. Because she, she was Baptist. She was Baptist. Let's go eat some fried chicken. Come on to the house. We used to do hospitality pretty well in Southern Baptist churches. I'm not talking about potluck dinners or dinner on the ground. I, I remember it was the deal. You never went to the restaurant on Sunday after church. You were always in somebody's house or somebody was in your house on Sunday afternoons after church. Why? Because we were practicing hospitality. Not say there's anything wrong with going out to eat today and being hospitable down at the Cracker Barrel or somewhere else and let somebody else do the cooking and you just pay them and do hospitality that way. That's okay. But there is something unique and different about sitting in someone's home around their table. And look what it says. And she prevailed upon us. I really need you to hold that phrase Uh, Matter of fact, this is all in your little handout. You might want to underline that because that's that's that is the definition of hospitality. I mean, of uh, what it means that they uh, to where it says seek to show us hospitality. That's literally what hospitality means. It means that you prevail upon somebody to come to your home or to do some kind of act of kindness. Uh, to them. Keep going. Then, uh, then he brought them out. Now we're switching. We're going a little deeper into Acts chapter 16. This is a story everybody knows. It's a fun story. It's, it's the Jailhouse Rock story, right? That's what we call it in children's church. It's the Jailhouse Rock story. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why? Because Paul and Silas got thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. So they're in jail. And they, they're singing at the midnight hour, and, the, and long before Elvis Presley sang Jailhouse Rock, God rocked the jailhouse, and so it really made it easy for somebody to write a song about that. And so the, the jailhouse rocked, and the, the, the chains fell off, and the door swung open, and this is the encounter. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of us who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Just, you see this hospitality that he's showing in response to his conversion? Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. More hospitality. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When you receive the welcome of Jesus, you become welcoming. That's just the way that it works. Hospitality is the outworking of mercy in our life. It becomes a work that validates our confession of faith. How will the world know that you're a Christian? Well, one of the ways they can know is that you demonstrate hospitality not only to brothers and sisters in Christ, but those those, uh, who are outside of the faith. You know, it's really hard for somebody not to sit at your table and listen to you share Jesus with them when you brought them into your house and fixed them a meal and shown them all kind of love and hospitality. They may not accept your message, but guess what? You've at least got their attention. And when you start talking about the love of God, it somehow will radiate to some part of their life because they have to make the connection. Well, undoubtedly, God must be loved because here's this person showing me love when they don't have to. And so where does that come from? Are they just that good of a person? At least what it will do, it will... It will it will create inside that person a struggle to figure out where does such hospitality come from where does such hospitality come from now james says something that's I don't think we often equate hospitality with, okay? We don't often equate hospitality with. It's a familiar passage, so I want you to look at it. It's there on your sheet. It's James chapter 2, okay? Now, let's walk through this together because this is, this is critical. You know, I said that hospitality becomes a work that validates your faith. So here's what the Bible says. My brothers, show no partiality... "...as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man is in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts?" If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by uh, the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit murder but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving him the things needed for the body. What good is that? What is he talking about now? He's talking about the rejection of hospitality. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. This is the bad part. Even the demons believe and they tremble. They shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? There's a great song. You should go home and look it up today. Is uh, uh, Let's see. What's the title of it is uh, Faith Without Works. is, uh, ah, Shoot. I had it. Uh, it's a Rich Mullen song about faith and works, they're being dead. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. That's the way the song goes. Okay, really, really, really good song. Let me see where I am up here. Was not Abraham. Okay, there we go. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Martin Luther said this We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. What is it saying? You say all day long you're saved, but if if your front door is closed to the vast majority of people and only open to a certain group of people, your faith can be called into question. Your faith may be nothing more than demonic faith and not redeeming faith. Can I ask you a question, Christian? Does God own everything that you have? That home that you live in that he gave you is that yours or his? if it's his then the front door is open to any and everything We need to be reminded of this we preached this a long time ago everybody believes that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah mainly because of the sin of homosexuality but guess what not what the Bible teaches look at Ezekiel 1649 Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. What what is he saying? They failed to show hospitality. And God turned them into a a salt flat. Why? Because he, he piled up on them. Wealth and resources, and they piled it up in their homes and and locked the door and said, Hey, I know it's tough out there, and I know you're going through a hard time because we hear your cries, but we're not in any way going to ease your difficulty. Hospitality is not only supernatural, but hospitality is personal. It's personal. Romans 15, 7. Romans 15, 7 says this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Did you notice what it says? Did you, did you hear the personal nature of it? Welcome others as I have welcomed Do you know what Jesus is do Do you know what Paul is saying here? Is that hospitality is participation in the life of Christ. For some reason the screen is not working right now, so y'all just have to follow along there and finish this a little bit by me just telling you. Hospitality is participation in the life of Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So what is he saying? Do to others as I have done to you. He didn't say, watch what I do and then do it. He says, enter into my life and do what I do. This is not imitation. This this goes further than imitation. Jesus says, I want you to do this out of participation of you in my life. And you may say, now that's that's a little strange because I don't understand how that happens. Okay, here's how it happens. Here's how it happens. John, I, I, it's, I, I had it to put up on the screen, but we won't even put it on the screen. I, what I want you to do is we're, we're, we're ending right here. So I just want you to really lock in. A couple of blanks left, we'll get to those. But I want you to lock into this part because when we talk about hospitality is participation in Christ, what we're talking about is John chapter 15, verses one through 10. And that is that Jesus says, I'm the vine dresser, okay? And that, and that he is divine as well. And he says, you're the branches. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So here's what happens. When you got saved, and if you were here Wednesday night, you you know where I'm going, so just hold on. You need to hear it again, even though it's three days, four days ago. Jesus takes you as a branch out of of the kingdom of darkness, according to Ephesians. He he brings you into the kingdom of God. And what he does, he does exactly what... uh, uh, Vine dressers do. They take a branch, they clip it out of a vine because they want to put it over here in this vine, because they want to produce a certain kind of fruit that this vine produces. But the vine cannot produce the fruit without the branch, and the branch can't produce the fruit without the vine. You you tracking with me? So they cut the branch out, they come over to the vine that they want the fruit to come out of, and they cut a notch into that vine. They take the branch, they put it in the notch, and they tape the branch to the vine because it needs to graft itself into the vine. And once it's grafted, they remove the tape, and all of a sudden, that branch begins to produce whatever fruit comes through that vine. So when Jesus says that he wants us to show to welcome others as he has welcomed us. What he is saying is, I want you to participate in my life. And the way we do that is when we are saved, we get grafted into the vine of Jesus. And what happens is, is that whatever is in Jesus starts making its way through the vine into the branch and the fruit that is produced is the fruit of Christ. That's why it's personal. That's why you can't can't moxie up uh, hospitality. It is something that flows into you because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Because you're grafted. When when somebody says, why do you do what you do? How do you do what you do? How, How can you be so hospitable to people, especially when most of these people don't even say thank you or, or return the hospitality, your answer is simply this: the uh, the only answer is is that there is there is a life that flows through me that is not of my own. It is totally supernatural, and it comes from the Lord Himself. I'm just flowing with whatever He sends through the vine into the branch. That's life in Christ. That's life in Christ. That's what it means to participate. The mercies of God root a believer and root a believer own. Doctrine, what Christ has done, roots us into the divine life. Doctrine is not intended to inform our head only, but to inflame our heart to duty. So the blank is, doctrine ingrass us into divine living. When we study those, that, that Romans 1-11, through 11, that's why I've told you, just keep reading Romans 1-11 through 11 over and over and over and over again. Why? Because what you want to do is you want to get rooted and grounded in all those verses of Romans. Why? So that you are plugged into that vine, and all of a sudden, all the resources of that vine start just flowing through you. And you just say, you know what? I can't help but do this. Why? Because I've been rooted in the mercies of God. Why? Because this is the outflow of the life of Christ inside of me. And then it leads me to the last point. Hospitality is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. But shouldn't it be? Because what is Christianity? Sacrificial. If you're not making sacrifices in your faith, what are you living if your faith costs you nothing, what kind of faith is it? It doesn't, reflect the, it doesn't reflect Christ. Hospitality is not entertainment, but investment. It's not entertainment, it's investment. It's the investment of your entire person. It's not a southern, but a sanctifying way of life. We do hospitality better than anybody. We're southerners. We're the people of cornbread and biscuit and gravy and all kinds of other good stuff. Barbecue, fried chicken, twice fried chicken. We make good stuff. We are the hospitality royalty. But it's not about cooking your best dish, and it's not even about getting your favorite recipes out to show off your culinary skills. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with putting out your best meal. But to do that, that's not hospitality, that's entertaining. Hospitality is about you investing your life into someone else. It does not consist of an occasional, large, well-planned event. It's a life focus on investing in others, not impressing others. You can show hospitality and eat on paper plates. You don't, gotta get, you don't have to get out your fine china. Get you some Dixie. Dixie plates, Dixie cups. It's okay. You're not trying to impress, you're investing. Hospitality is a big word. In the smallest moments. It's on your paper, I won't read it, but Matthew 25 is about uh, where Jesus says has this conversation about going to the jail and and feeding and clothing. And they're like, Lord, when did we do that to you? And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. What is he saying? You You were doing hospitality. All of that that you were doing was Sacrificial. Hospitality is a big word. It's a big word built in the smallest of moments. It's an ongoing intrusion into our everyday life. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The people in 1 Peter that he was telling that to... We're going through some incredible hardships. Some of them had lost everything, and yet it did not stop them from being hospitable. Listen, I don't want anybody in this church to say, you know what, I don't have much of anything to invite somebody to. You know, my house is small, or, or, or it's run down, or it's this, or it's that. It's, it's not as nice as so-and-so's house, or it's not as nice as that place. Listen to me. These Christians were under immense persecution and most of them had lost everything in Rome that Peter was writing to and Peter said, show hospitality anyway, whether you've got much or nothing. Hey, do you know what G- one, of, one of the final acts that Jesus uh, did was to show hospitality and he didn't even have a house. He rented one out and said, look, come on, I'm going to feed you boys tonight. It's called the Last Supper. Y'all familiar with it? He washed their feet, right? Hospitality? What are you saying? I say you can be homeless and be hospitable. You can go rent a motel room and invite some people over. There's no excuse for not being hospitable, except that you're not a Christian. Resist your human reaction to excuse yourself from such a lifestyle and obey that still small voice calling you to participation in life, in Christ's life. Hospitality is investing is more than investing in those you love, but those that you loathe. Hospitality is more than investing in the lives of those which you share an affinity, but those who are an affront. Hospitality is more than investing in the lives of those uh, you like or those, excuse me, of those uh, like you or those you like, but those who are unlike you and those who you don't like. And hospitality is more than investing in the lives of those who are easy, but those who are your enemies. Christ died so that you could be welcomed, and now he is calling and equipping you to welcome others by dying to self. Hospitality is, not, is only optional for those who profess faith in Christ but do not possess him as Savior. So, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a while here. Well, we haven't done it since we've come back from COVID. This morning, there's a prayer, right? Right there at the end of your notes. It's a prayer of repentance, and it's a prayer of help. And it's connected to what's down front, the Lord's table. The Lord showed hospitality to those whom he loved the night before he died. Why? Because he had invested three years of his life into these men. And he needed to make one more final investment for the sake of human history before he died. He needed to get around a table... Because he had some important truths that he needed to reinforce before his death and resurrection. And so there was no greater way for him to do that and to demonstrate what is important in Christianity. The early church grew and they thrived. Why? Because in Acts 2 it says they gathered together in homes and they broke bread together. Why? Because you deal with sin and you deal with depression and you deal with heartache. And you deal with every kind of possible negative and positive human experience at a dinner table. I can't deal with that here. I can't talk to every one of you right here and, 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 and let's rejoice or, or cry over what's going on in your life. But I can at your table and you can at my table. And so this morning, if you're serious about hospitality, if the Lord's really spoken to your heart about your lack thereof, because no one of us is excelling in this area, your pastor included, then I'm going to ask you to take that prayer and pray that prayer right where you are, and then as a show of commitment to each other and to the... And I don't want you to do it because... You want to impress somebody, you want people to, you know, you just want to fit in. Or I want you to do it because the Lord is genuinely moving in your heart to do it. Is once you've prayed that prayer, confessed and asked the Lord for help, is to come and simply take the juice and a cracker and seal that commitment, seal that request before the Lord by participating in his table. Father in heaven, in these next moments, I pray that you would call this little small band of believers that meet at 10250 Stemley Road out of our closed-door mentality. Some of us can't even remember the last time we had someone in our house around a table. Some of us have lost sight of the resources that you've given us, you have given us a front door as a, as a means of inviting people in to the family of God. You, you have brought us into the family with a welcome to extend that welcome to others. Father, some of us may have first learned about Christ around a table. Uh, we, we may first have been exposed to the gospel due to someone else's hospitality in our life and there's no greater way to show how great your love is and how great your welcome is than by welcoming others and so in these moments ahead i pray that those that come will come because they are stirred by conviction but father i pray that no judgment be passed on anyone that doesn't come because father some of us may need to go home and continue to work this out in our hearts and lives. It's just too much for us to respond to at this moment. But Father, I pray you would do your supernatural work in your supernatural way in these moments ahead. In Christ's name, amen. David, if you will, come. And as David comes, the front is open. We do have a a, a bottle of hand cleaner here if you don't mind doing that before partaking of the bread so you come as the lord leads you as we sing this final song together